We've been in a, a series called Uncensored. Um, it's the life of the church as it can and it should be. The church as it can and should be according to the book of Acts. Uh, last week, Pastor Pat gave an awesome message about the noise that the church is releasing. Specifically, he said, the church can and should be releasing an anointed, attractive, and urgent sound. This was in reference to when the believers were gathered together in the upper room awaiting the promise of the Holy Spirit. As they waited, it says that tongues of fire descended upon them and that they began proclaiming by the power of the Holy Spirit the wonderful things of God. And all of the devout Jews who were gathered for the Passover feast heard these wonderful things of God translated in their own native tongues. And naturally, when they heard this, they said, what does this mean? They inquired, what, what are we to do based on this new revelation, the new outpouring of the Holy Spirit? But some of them mocked, right? Some of them said, they're drunk. So we have to deal with this right here. So Peter then stands up, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and delivers what would be the first sermon of this new fledgling church. The, the church hasn't even been called Christians yet. And he delivers this first sermon. And this and the implications of this first sermon is what we are going to have a look at this morning. Sound good to you guys? Yeah? Okay, cool. We're in Acts chapter two, specifically um, verses 12 through 35. I'm gonna summarize and then we'll be in 36 to 41. The message this morning, the statement I have for you guys this morning is that the church can and should be carrying a countercultural message. The church can and should be carrying a countercultural message. Let's look at the scripture here. Acts chapter two, verses 12 through 35. Let me summarize this for you guys. So Peter stands up emboldened by the Holy Spirit, right? And he quotes from the book of Joel. He says, everything that you're seeing right now, this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, the tongues, the gifts, the Holy Spirit coming upon male, female, slave, free, Jew, Gentile, was prophesied in the book of Joel. And not only in the book of Joel, David in Psalm 16 and 101 also prophesied that Jesus would be Taken, excuse me, would come to earth, would die on the cross, and would be resurrected. And so he points to all three of these scriptures to say, this is the day y'all have been waiting for. Now we hear these prophecies and we're like, okay, cool, Old Testament prophecy fulfilled, that's rad. But to them, this would have been so tangible and palpable. They were waiting for this promised Messiah. And so to make this practical for you guys, let me read a quote from a theologian, Peter Stoner. Here's what he says. He says that the probability of one man fulfilling all of the Old Testament prophecies is similar to if we were to take the state of Texas and line up sand dollars, or we're in, uh, we're in Southern California, you could say like in and out double doubles, like something circular, line them up across the, the face of Texas and then stack them up two feet deep, okay? Then mark one of them, sort up, shuffle up the whole pile, blindfold one man or woman and allow them to walk as far as they want, but their task is to pick the singular single dollar, silver dollar out of the two foot stack across the face of Texas. The probability of him doing so would be one in 10 quintillion. That's one with 17 zeros. Such is the probability of all of the Old Testament prophecies being fulfilled through one man. This is the urgency with which the devout Jews of the day would have heard this statement. 
that we're about to read right here, okay? Now that that's contextualized for you guys, here's what he says in Acts chapter two, verse 36. Therefore, let all of Israel be certain of this. God made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. Based on all of these prophecies, be certain of this. Jesus was the one in 10 quintillion that was spoken of. Be certain of this. God made him to be both Lord and Messiah. In your hearing now, these prophecies were fulfilled. He picks up in verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Naturally, you would say that. Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you. Who's to repent and be baptized? Every one of you. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. In the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen, amen. The promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. For all to whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. 3,000 added to the number as he proclaims the fulfillment of this prophecy, commands them they should be baptized, they should repent, and they should receive the Holy Spirit. Powerful countercultural message given as the first sermon of this fledgling church. Amazing. About four weeks ago, I was in Oaxaca with a missions team. Uh, we went down there. Amen. We got the missions team in the building. We went down there, partnered with our missionary, Desi. It was incredible. Um, the, the introvert in me died like 11 times. Uh, the extroverts were celebrating. It was amazing. I was like slowly dying, but it was, it was incredible. I think like a sanctified person is somewhere right in the middle, like between the extreme extrovert and the scream, extreme introvert, somewhere right in the middle. So I'm, I'm working out my sanctification. But I died a couple times. We, we did some amazing things. We went to an orphanage and put on a little uh, festival there with bounce houses and pinatas and food, and it was really cool. Uh, we went downtown, and we had an opportunity to minister to drug addicts and homeless people. We got to give them um, showers and haircuts and food, and we also got to offer them the opportunity to go to a rehab for free if they, if they wanted to go, which is amazing. And then we got to go visit the rehab where these drug addicts and homeless would go should they choose to do so. And man, let me tell you, being in the midst of recovering drug addicts as they are worshiping, come on. We ought to worship the same way. They're, they're keenly aware of their need for Jesus on a moment-to-moment -moment basis. So may we be. Amazing. Like, my wife took a recording of it, and I could play it right now, and, and you guys would all cry because it's just incredible, the Holy Spirit moving among them. Um, we also got to participate in this really cool citywide cleanup. The city we were, the city we were staying in um, had some aspects of it that were really beautiful and some aspects that were kind of dirty, right? Uh, we take for granted in America that there's someone by our taxpayer dollars whose job it is to pick up trash or to trim the trees or the bushes or to street sweep or to clean the median. And they didn't have that in the city we were staying at. And so we became that. And so we had the opportunity to, and really it was an opportunity, it took a lot of favor 
for us to get this. We had the opportunity to clean the entryway to the city. And basically what that looked like was manicuring and picking up trash in, in the median. Okay, and so the president of the Pueblo came out. Uh, This would be kind of like a mayor, like the mayor of Oceanside uh, came out and gave us the the go ahead. He gave us the rah-rah speech and we got excited and and we went to clean the median and we all put our masks on because we were outside and, and in the middle of a street and all the airline stewardesses who have yelled at me over the years would be so proud. It was over my nose and mouth the whole time for like eight hours. Um, and we started cleaning up and somehow I got separated from the pack. I don't know how, but somehow I got separated from the pack. And the president's wife started yelling at me in Spanish, like, hey, Doug, vamos, come over here. And she's like telling me all these things to do. I don't wanna use my bare hands to like trim a bougainvillea or to pick up trash. So I look around and there's a shovel. So I grab the shovel and she's like, trim, trim, pointing at the tree. And I'm like, I guess a shovel can trim, but it ain't the best tool for it, right? So I just start whacking at this tree with the shovel. I'm like, está bien? She's like, todo, todo. I'm like, all right. So I like, there's a weed on the ground and, and she's like, weed, weed, weed. And I'm like trying to dig this weed out that's like been there for a decade. Like that weed is settled. And uh, so I'm like, all right, there's trash on the ground. I'm like trying to shovel it up, but it's like paper and it's disintegrating. I don't want to use my hands. So clearly not the right tool for the job. If any of you guys ever try to do a job with the wrong tool, it's hard, it's cumbersome, it's not fun. So we go to lunch. After lunch, all the tools are laid out on the ground. And so now I have the pick of the litter, right? And so amidst the angelic chorus and the light shining down, I see for the first time the pitchfork. Have any of y'all ever wielded a pitchfork? Something serious about it. You feel like Poseidon. It's crazy. So I grabbed the pitchfork, right? And now all of the trees have been trimmed, courtesy of my shovel and, and some other people with better tools. And so there's all these piles, like tree-sized piles of bougainvillea and other like clippings and stuff. And so the dump truck rolls up and I see the pile and pitchfork in hand. I'm like, I'm gonna give this pile a shot. And it's literally like three, four feet wide, three, four feet tall. And I'm like... Boom, stab that thing, pick it up, throw it in the dumpster, throw it in the dump truck. I'm like, dang, that was like my whole morning combined in one thing. And so I'm like, cool, let's try. There's another one, it's like five feet by five feet. I'm like, okay, cool, boom, throw it in. There's another one, it's even taller. I grab another guy, let's go, boom, throw it in. See, when you have the right tool for the job, the job becomes effortless, fun, invigorating, joyful, and the same job that took us like six hours in the morning, we finished up in like two hours in the afternoon because we had the right tools in our hand. See, this morning we're talking about the countercultural message of Jesus. It's the right tool. It's the pitchfork. But many of us are carrying around the shovel, the cultural message that we've been fed. And we're trying to go about life whacking at things with the shovel, and God's like, bro, I got a pitchfork for you. You can get it done with the shovel, I guess, but it ain't the way I designed it. And there is an effortless, invigorating, spirit-filled, enjoyable, God would call it abundant way of doing the same tasks equipped by my spirit. See, the tool that you use matters. And so we're gonna talk about the tool of the countercultural message of Jesus this morning. 
Tracy said it this way. The most countercultural thing you can do is read the word and do what it says. Right? The most countercultural thing we can do is read the word and do what it says. So we read the word. Now we're going to do it. I have three verbs for you. Here's what they are. Be certain. Be pierced. And repent. Let those sink in. Be certain. Be pierced. And repent. Let me take us through those. Be certain. Acts 2, 36 says this. Let all of the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. There's two words in there that we might not use frequently, Lord and Christ. Lord means owner or master or he to whom a person or thing belongs. Master or owner, or he to whom a person or thing belongs. So God has made him Lord. He's made him master. He's made him owner. We belong to him. He's made him Christ. He's made him the anointed one. He's made him the one in the 10 quintillion. Be certain of this, all of Israel. Be certain of this, all of Movement Church. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, and you crucified, and you crucified, and I crucified. God made that Jesus to be both Lord, Master, Owner, One in Authority, and Messiah, Christ, the Anointed One, the One in Ten Quintillion. Be certain of this. How beautiful is certainty in this world? Man, certainty is so beautiful. I can empathize with with the psalmist who said, blessed assurance, what a blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of blood, washed in his spirit, washed in his love. It's a blessed assurance to know that Jesus is both Lord and Messiah. But here's the problem. That's not the message we live with, is it? That's the countercultural message we're designed to live with. That's the pitchfork mentality, but we've been given the cultural message, the shovel mentality. See, we've been told that your truth and your truth and your truth and your truth and my truth can all be truth mutually exclusive of one another and equally valid. And I'll tell you categorically this morning that's false. That by nature goes against the definition of truth, doesn't it? Truth is singular. I will state categorically that it cannot be true what you say, what you say, what you say, and what I say, and what God says at the same time. It can't. We need objective truth. What we say in Movement Youth is that the Bible is our absolute truth. It's our objective truth. Subjective truth is killing us. And so we must kill subjective truth. And for those of you guys who are like, ah, that hurts. Don't come at my truth like that, bro. Don't shoot the messenger. It's what the Bible says. Our truth is killing us. And if you don't believe that, just turn the news on. Don't actually, because it's not, but turn the news on. Subjective truth is killing us. And I say this with a, with a sober and heavy heart that someone's truth this week walked into an elementary school and shot up a bunch of kids Someone's truth said that was an acceptable action. Sobering. 
this is what subjective truth is doing to us. With San Diego being a, being a port city and being a border city, it's one of the largest sex trafficking hubs of the world. Someone's truth says that taking another human and monetizing their life for the enjoyment of someone else is acceptable. That's someone's truth. Take the cartels where drugs are being sent across the country and across borders. Someone's truth says that's an acceptable way to make money and should they be crossed in any way that murder of that person and their family is acceptable. These are our truths. Subjective truth is killing us. We must therefore kill subjective truth and lean on objective truth. And the objective truth of the scripture is that God made this Jesus who you crucified to be both Lord and Messiah. He's the anointed one. He's the one in 10 quintillion. He's the one that all of scripture and all of history has been coming to. This moment as Peter shares the, the, the sermon, this is the crescendo of all history coming to this one moment, coming to a head. This Jesus, be certain, he is both Lord and Messiah. And we must be certain of this today, church. The countercultural message of the gospel is that the Christian can be certain of this, that God made this Jesus both Lord and Messiah. That's the first verb I have for you guys. Be certain of this. Be certain that the pitchfork is better than the shovel. Let's talk about the second verb, be pierced. Acts 2.37 says this. When they heard this, the, the listeners, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. You ever heard something that was like so true, it was like truer than true, it like hurt? No, just me? I think we have. It's so true, it like hurts. They were cut to the heart. Jordan Peterson says it this way, it isn't that the Bible is true, it's that the Bible is the precondition for truth, which makes it way more true than true. Jordan Peterson's not even a Christian. Dude's just like, everything historically stems from the Bible, therefore everything we hold to be true, the Bible is foundational to, which makes it truer than true which makes it the precondition for truth, which makes it objectively true, which makes it at war with your subjective truth. Be pierced, bro. Be pierced by that. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what then shall we do? This word cut to the heart, it's katanusamai. means cut or agitate vehemently. Some of y'all are agitated this morning. Don't shoot the messenger. I'm just opening the scripture and encouraging y'all to do what it says, but you're agitated with me. Vehemently even, that's strong verbiage. Katanusamai, to cut to the core, to agitate vehemently. They were cut. Another translation says they were pierced or they were pricked by this truth that Jesus is Lord because it's the foundation for all truth. It's truer than true. See, the second verb here is to be pierced by this truth to not only hear it cerebrally, 
not just to know it, but the Greek word is to gnosko it, to experience it. It's an experiential knowledge. It's when David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. I could, I could describe my mom's lasagna, or I could invite you to North Carolina and have you taste it. The taste and see experiential gnosko knowledge is what we're called to, to be pierced by it, to be agitated by it, to allow ourselves to experience the fact that the pitchfork is what we were designed for. You're comfortable with the shovel, but the pitchfork is your design. Be agitated by that. I don't care. Be agitated. That's what the scripture says. Allow that salt in the wound to purify you, to be cut to the core. Jesus, the one we crucified, God made both Lord and Messiah. Be certain of this and be pierced to the core by it. Like pick up the pitchfork and, and transfuse it to your body. Like affix it to you. Make it be a part of your very nature. That's the call. Be pierced to the heart. Cut to the core. Pricked, vehemently agitated by it. Be certain. Be pricked. Third verb, repent. It's a popular word, right? Nah. Repent. The brothers say, brothers, what then shall we do? What then shall we do? We've become certain that Jesus is the fulfillment, the one in 10 quintillion. We've been pricked and pierced and vehemently agitated by it. What then shall we do? Repent. 238. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What then shall we do? Repent. It's not sexy, huh? What then shall we do? Repent. I'm broken, Lord. My finances, my marriage, my car, my life, my health. What then shall we do? Repent. Scripture, objective truth. What then shall we do? Repent. Now, when Jesus came on the scene in the book of Mark, you would think that he would come with this amazing message, right? Like, I've come to overthrow the Roman Empire. Rose up on a horse, like with a sword. I've come to set you free. Put your faith in me. Now, what's he say in Mark chapter one? Jesus went to Galilee proclaiming the good news. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Therefore, repent. Repent and believe the good news. This word repent in Greek is metanoia. Metanoia, it's two words, meta and noia. Meta is where we get this word metamorphosis from. Metamorphosis, when a caterpillar metamorphosizes into a butterfly, it fundamentally changes the fabric of who it is. Meta, and then secondly, noia, it means your mind. Metanoia, change your mind. Repent, change your mind. You've been functioning in one way, you've been comfortable with the shovel You've been comfortable on the throne of your life, but there's only room for one on the throne. Change your mind about who should be on the throne. Repent of it. Metanoia, metamorphosize. Change the fabric of who you are. Infuse the pitchfork to your body. Take it up. Be certain that Jesus is Lord. Be pricked by it. And then repent. Change your mind. 
Do a full 180 from where you were going toward where God is calling you. That is the call to the Christian, repent. And it is the most loving invitation. It's the most loving invitation. Some of you are being kata, katanusamide. <laughs> I had to think about that one. Some of y'all are being katanusamide. You're being agitated by it, but it's a loving invitation, y'all. It's a loving invitation toward repentance. It truly is. Think about it this way. I'm gonna borrow an example from a friend of mine who, who preached a message similar to this recently. When a mother or a woman finds out, excuse me if this is crass, by peeing on a stick that she's pregnant, she is pregnant. She is, from that moment, a mother, right? And, and the, the man who was a part of that process, in Jesus' name, maritally, is, is a father, correct? Okay, cool. That's not news to anybody. When a man and a woman love each other very much. No, like they, their father and mother from that moment, right? They're not holding a baby, but they are from that moment, a mother and a father. That cerebral knowledge, that cerebral change of mind changes everything. Now the way that, that that mother spends her money, spends her time, what exercises she does. Maybe she's a surfer. She doesn't lay on her belly anymore. Maybe, maybe you're a belly sleeper. You don't sleep that way anymore. What you eat, what you drink or don't drink, it changes everything about the way that woman functions, right? With the cerebral knowledge that she is to be a mother, but she's not holding a baby yet. In the same way, when we repent, we're changing our minds. We're changing our minds, and that changes everything. That changes the fabric of who we are. It changes the way we interact with the world. It changes the way we interact with God. It changes the way we interact with one another. It changes our relationship with our finances, our time, our talents, our treasures. Like It changes everything. The beautiful invitation of repentance is that there's a better way. There's a better way. You've been so comfortable and in love with the shovel, there's a better way in the pitchfork. Put down the old, repent, change your mind, and become what God has created you to be. But repentance is the tool to this changed life. It's repentance. It's repentance. It's Jesus. Be certain of this be pricked by it, and be moved to a place of repentance because of it. I'll tell you with confidence, if you won't change your mind, if you won't repent, you will not, or you will not with longevity, follow Jesus. I just don't think you'll do it. The Bible says, Jesus says, if you love me, Obey my commands. I don't think that you will or will with longevity follow Jesus if you will not change your mind and repent because you don't believe that his ways are higher than your ways, as Isaiah says. You don't believe that there's only room for one on the throne. You still wanna sit on the throne and have him come into your orbit instead of you coming into his orbit. The countercultural message is that you gotta ditch your orbit altogether and come into his world that you have to vacate the throne and set it up for him. 
That's the countercultural message of the gospel that Jesus is Lord, we ought to be certain of it, pricked by it and led to repentance because of it. And we will not follow Jesus with any longevity without it. There truly is no love of God without repentance. There is no love of God without repentance. I wanna illustrate, thank you. (laughs) Thank you. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. Thanks for not shooting the messenger. Um, I want to illustrate this with a final with a final point here. Peter is the one delivering this first sermon, right? Peter. Now, if you don't know scripture, you might not know how significant this is. See, Peter, just chapters ago in the Gospels, when Jesus was being tried by the Sanhedrin, he denied Jesus three times, three. There's another character in the gospels named Judas. Judas is the one who betrays Jesus. I've always been struck by the comparison of these two characters. Peter denies Jesus three times. Judas betrays Jesus one time. Judas goes out and takes his own life because he's so remorseful and shameful about his sin. Peter then receives the prophetic word of Jesus upon this rock, I will build my church. And then empowered by the Holy Spirit, he cuts to the core, calling 3,000 people to repentance. What was the difference between Judas and Peter? One simple word, repentance. A change of mind, a fundamental, a fabric of your being, shift. See, Peter didn't take on the sin as his identity, whereas Judas did. Judas took it on, and it led to death. In fact, that's what Scripture says. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of Jesus is salvation in his name. The key, though, to the gift is repentance. Will you this morning change your mind? Will you this morning, like Peter, receive the tool that you've been given, this countercultural message? Will you put down the cultural? Will you put down the shovel? Will you receive all that God wants you to be? Repentance is the key. A change of mind is the key. And we see this Peter go from this bold, excuse me, this boastful and arrogant man to a bold and urgent vessel of the gospel. We see him go from impulsive and hot-headed to tactical and collected. See, the people said, you're drunk. And old Peter would have been like, I'll show you drunk. But he was like, no, I'm going to give you Jesus. He was tactical and he was collected. He was an ordinary, unschooled man, pre-crucifixion, post-crucifixion, post-resurrection. He's still ordinary and unschooled. What's the difference? He repented and he's empowered by the Holy Spirit. He's still the same man but empowered by the Holy Spirit. Come on. He was speaking his truth pre-resurrection. He rebuked Jesus. Jesus said, the Son of Man must go to the cross. Peter said, by no means 
Jesus calls him Satan. He says, get behind me, Satan. Now, post-resurrection, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he speaks in spirit and in truth. Jesus prophesied this, right? With the woman at the well, he said, there's a time coming when true worshipers will worship in both spirit and truth. Peter fulfills this moment. It's just repentance, people. It's just repentance. He refuses to have his feet washed by Jesus, and then Jesus says, upon this rock, I will build my church. He deserts Jesus as he's taken away. And then later, he deserts Jesus as Jesus is being taken to be crucified. And then at the end of Peter's life, Peter too was crucified, but he was crucified upside down because he didn't consider himself worthy to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. What's the difference? Repentance, a fundamental change of mind, a gnosko knowledge, a taste and see knowledge, a certainty that Jesus is Lord. This Jesus that your sins put on the cross, God has made him both Lord and Messiah. And we have the privilege to be certain of this. Will you stand with me? We have the privilege to be certain of this this morning. Church, allow yourselves to be pricked by this truth. Allow yourselves to be cut to the core by this truth, to be vehemently agitated by it. Be certain of it and let this not leave you in a place of shame, but lead you to repentance. Change your mind. I see two groups of people in this room. One group who has never received this message that Jesus is Lord. You're still on the throne of your life, but you're confused because you're going to work with a shovel. God calls you to be an accountant or a politician or a ball player or whatever you do. And you're bringing the shovel to work and hitting people with it. And you're like, this doesn't feel right, but I don't know any better. Let me tell you today, as Jesus told the devout believers at the time, your tool is the pitchfork and Jesus is Lord. This is the countercultural message of the gospel and you're one decision away. You're one mind change away from the rest of your life unfolding before you. And it's the best decision you'll ever make. Can you bow your heads with me? If that describes anyone in this room, would you just raise your hand so we can pray for you? We have a ministry team in the room. We would love to pray for you. If you this morning want to receive Jesus and repent of your sins and fundamentally change the fabric of who you are, I believe there's someone in the room. Can we lay hands up here, Luke? Luke, and you can, you can go too. Is there anyone else in the room who wants to, to have a fundamental change of who they are, to change your mind for the first time, to repent and receive Jesus? Amen. God left the 99 for the one. Says there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner. Says 10,000 times 10,000 angels sit before the throne. That's 100 million angels rejoicing because of one person coming to Jesus. Will you guys pray this aloud with me with our sister who's receiving Jesus for the first time? Let's bow our heads. Jesus, like you mean it, Jesus with our sister, Jesus, we repent.
we change our minds. We fix our eyes on you. We acknowledge that we are sinners in need of a savior. We receive the countercultural message that Jesus is Lord. We repent of our sins. We change our minds and we rejoice in you. In Jesus' name, amen. We celebrate with my sister up here. Praise God. Come on. Thank you. And to the rest of you who are already in Christ, you've already repented. Remember, repentance is a once and for all thing, but it's also a daily thing. You guys don't want me after a week of not repenting. You don't want it. You don't. My wife doesn't want it. No one wants it. Like, repentance is a daily thing. It's a once and for all, but it's a daily task. So to the rest of you guys, let me commission you with 2 Corinthians. Um, let me commission you with this, 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, receive this. If anyone is in Christ, he or she is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Mm. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself. Through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, gave us the message of reconciliation, gave us the countercultural message that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. Check this out. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Church, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be certain that Jesus is Lord. Be pricked to the heart, let it become part of who you are and repent. Change your mind, believe the gospel and be an avenue and a vessel of reconciliation. Be sent in Jesus' name. I love you guys. Praise God. Thank you.